This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. As the whispers of a Trump 2024 campaign grow louder, we must now reckon with the possibility that this madman might become president once again. Are you thinking about running again in 2024? And if so, where are you in that process? It seems almost absurd that we have to go through this again with him, and even more absurd that he could potentially be the first president to serve non-consecutive terms since Grover Cleveland in 1892. Cleveland, by the way, was a Civil War draft-dodging rapist who fucking fathered a child with one of his victims. The idea that Trump could become president again is unfathomable. But here we are, folks. Here we are. Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> Actually, for me, it's an easy question. Okay. So, I mean, I know what I'm going to do, but we're not supposed to be talking about it yet from the standpoint of uh, campaign finance laws, which, frankly, are ridiculous. Okay, you want to know the truth, but we have to live with it. But I think you're going to be happy. Let me put it that way, okay? I think you're going to be very happy. When I see what's going on, we had the greatest economy in the world. We did things that nobody thought even possible. Uh, everybody had the best jobs. We were even getting along with the other side. They were starting to come in and, and uh, you know, the radical left, I call them. But they couldn't compete with what we were doing. From jobs to regulations to we rebuilt the military. They gave $85 billion of it away, brand new. <clears throat> Apache helicopters. Can you believe they gave them away? Why would you give them away? You fly them out. You take them out. And they had all the time in the world. We had everybody on hold. The Taliban was on hold. I dealt with the top guy, Abdul. And there was nothing he was going to be doing with us. All of a sudden, we have a rigged election. And all of a sudden, we we flee Afghanistan. A new book from Bob Woodward and Robert Costa entitled Peril is causing a collective gasp across Washington for its shocking portrayal of a mentally unfit Trump in his final days as he desperately tried to cling to power. Bombshell allegations about Donald Trump in a new book by Washington Post reporters Bob Woodward and Robert Costa. They report that America's top general believed Trump was in mental decline and could go rogue in his final days in office. That they obtained never-before-seen materials, secret orders, transcripts of confidential calls, diaries, emails, meeting notes, and other personal and government records. And that, as you said, the book is has really in-depth reporting on that critical period between Election Day and January 6th and that it's going to reveal that the transition was, and I'm quoting here, far more than just a domestic political crisis, that it was one of the most dangerous periods in American history. Filled with scenes of backbiting, temper tantrums, and expletive-filled phone calls, the book depicts a GOP in chaos, desperately trying to preserve its relationship with Trump. The authors have laid bare another view into the frightening, unchained few weeks inside Trump's inner circle around the Capitol insurrection. I guess I read these stories, Mike's story and the the Post reporting on what is in the book, and it strikes me as a catastrophic failure that Donald Trump was left in office by the people who around him were so terrified by what they saw in his, it's described as mania, by Woodward and Costa. I think it just begs all sorts of questions about what he was doing. The duo reported in the book that Joint Chief of Staff General Mark Milley took steps to interrupt any order Trump might give for military action because he thought the ex-president had deteriorated mentally after January 6th. 
If true, the new details raise grave doubts about the former president's fitness for a second term with the nation's nuclear football, which contains the codes that could launch Armageddon at his side. General Mark Milley took top secret action to limit President Trump's ability to make a military strike or to use nuclear weapons. Let me just stay, set the stage from the book. According to Woodward and Costa, on January 8th, Milley is deeply shaken from the assault on the Capitol on the 6th. He believes Trump, to your point, is unstable, unpredictable, and Woodward and Costa write, Milley believes that Trump is in serious mental decline. Milley worried that Trump could go rogue, the authors write. You never know what a president's trigger point is, Milley told his senior staff, according to the book. In response, Milley took extraordinary action and called a secret meeting in his Pentagon office on January 8th to review the process for military action, including launching nuclear weapons. Speaking to senior military officials in charge of the National Military Command Center, the Pentagon's war room, Milley instructed them not to take orders from anyone unless he was involved. No matter what you are told, you do the procedure, you do the process, and I'm part of that procedure, Milley told the officers, according to the book. He then went around the room, looked each officer in the eye, and asked them to verbally confirm they understood. Costa and Woodward report the Joint Chiefs Chairman General Mark Milley went to extraordinary lengths to undermine the authority of President Trump because he feared Trump could do something catastrophic during his final weeks in office. And Milley was far from alone in his concerns. The head of the CIA, Gina Haspel, feared an out-of-control Trump was on path to a right-wing coup or might lash out at Iran. And in another staggering move, the reporters say Milley also had back-channel contacts with his Chinese counterpart, who was alarmed that even Beijing could be in Trump's sights. Woodward and Costa report that in the final days of the 2020 presidential campaign, Joint Chiefs Chairman General Mark Milley made an astonishing move, secretly reaching out directly to China's top general after he saw signs that China feared Trump could launch a military strike. General Lee, I want to assure you that the American government is stable. We are not going to attack or conduct any kinetic operations against you. China's concerns stemmed from Trump's combative COVID rhetoric. And then they said, there's a plague coming over from China. Here it comes. What a disgrace. What a disgrace. According to Woodward and Costa, Milley assured China, quote, if we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. The level of documentation in the book, including a transcript of a call in which House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Milley agreed on the danger posed by then the president's crazy behavior, suggests there may be more to tell. Previous reports from earlier this summer indicated Milley had informally planned for different ways to stop Trump including cascading resignations of top national security leaders because he was so fucking concerned by the then-president's behavior after November's election, even going so far as to speak out loud over his fears that Trump would attempt to coup. General Milley, you're portrayed in books published this summer as having sounded the alarm privately about the possibility of President Trump uh, manufacturing a crisis uh, involving the military, either domestically or overseas, in order to stay in office after January 20th. 
I'm wondering, would you now set the historical record straight, and were you concerned about the possibility of a coup, and on what basis was that concern? On Tuesday night, Trump lashed out at Milley, calling for action against him. For the record, I never even thought of attacking China, and China knows that, Trump wrote in a statement. The people that fabricated the story are sick and demented, and the people who printed it just as bad. In fact, I'm the only president in decades who didn't get the United States into a war. First of all, if it is actually true, which is hard to believe, uh, that he would have called uh, China and done these things and uh, was willing to advise them of an attack or in advance of an attack, that's treason. And I would think I've had so many calls today saying that's treason. According to the book, a key figure from Trump's earliest days as president reemerged former White House advisor Steve Bannon. The authors write that Bannon, who had been indicted for fraud in April of 2020 and later pardoned by Trump, played a critical role in the events leading up to January 6th. So Steve Bannon was once fired, now he's back. Yeah. And, and there are several remarkable scenes in the book. One is December 30th. When Trump is on the phone, he's Trump is down in Mar-a-Lago, Steve Bannon's in Washington, and Trump is complaining that the Republicans aren't doing enough for uh, for his effort. And Bannon says to him, and there's a when you read it, there's sort of a Svengali-like quality to this passage. Bannon says to Trump, you've got to return to Washington right now. You've got to make a dramatic return. And then he says, according to Woodward and Costa, and you've got to call Pence off the effing ski slopes and get him back here today this is a crisis. He calls January 6th a moment for reckoning, and then he goes even further. This is about uh, Bannon on Biden. And he says, quote, people are going to go, what the F is going on here? We're going to bury Biden on January 6th, effing bury him. Um, this was, it, it sounds like from Woodward and Costa, that Bannon saw this as a moment to undermine Biden's legitimacy. And he goes on, according to the book, Bannon says, quote, we're going to kill it in the crib, kill the Biden presidency in the crib. If proven true, and there's no reason why they would be false, the revelations from Costa and Woodward's book serve as a warning for a potential return to power by the former president. The problem posed by Trump is now not an aberrant past presidency, it's the toxic impact he could have on the nation in the future. We're gonna walk down to the Capitol and we're gonna cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not gonna be cheering so much for some of them. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. Today we see a very important event though, because right over there, right there, we see the event gonna take place. And I'm gonna be watching because history is going to be made and we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not gonna have a country anymore. Forget for a moment about his previous behavior. It's all on record. We know what he has done, but he continues to corrode the very foundation of our democracy with his behavior. 
The man is a fucking clear and present danger. Before Gavin Newsom survived Tuesday's recall election, Trump was opening a new front in his big lie that now effectively claims that any time a Republican loses, it is a product of massive fraud. It's a falsehood that could tarnish American Democratic elections for years to come, but is eagerly accepted by millions of Trump voters. And the former president's insane behavior last weekend, the 9-11 commemorations to slam President Biden, was a fucking disgusting attempt to launch himself back onto the national stage. And I think about just in the last you know, few days, and the former president put out saying this election was rigged. Now, democracy is not a football. You don't throw it around. It's more like a, I don't know, antique vase. You could drop it and smash it in a million different pieces. And that's what we're capable of doing if we don't stand up to meet the moment and push back. I said this many, many times on the campaign trail. You know, we may have defeated Trump, but Trumpism is not dead in this country. The big lie. January 6th insurrection, all the voting suppression efforts that are happening all across this country, what's happening, the assault on fundamental rights, constitutionally protected rights of women and girls. It's a remarkable moment in our nation's history. But there can no longer be any doubt about the kind of presidency the United States would face from a vindicated and unrestrained Trump in a new four-year term. And Republicans, especially in the House, who have effectively handed over their party to his brand of authoritarian conservatism, should also be held to account for the kind of figure that they are enabling and trying to ride to power. Still, it is unlikely that a new book involving Woodward will do anything to weaken the ex-president's base of support. A CNN poll published this week found that 63% of Republicans and Republican-leaning independents said they want Trump as the leader of their party. That 6 in 10 say supporting Trump and believing that he won in 2020 are an important part of what being a Republican means to them. This deep level of fucking sickness is at the heart of the problem. If recent history is a guide, Republicans in positions of power will shrug at the new revelations. The conservative media complex will brand them fake news. And the idea that a senior member of the military establishment may have tried to subvert Trump's power will only embolden those who believe that a deep state all along thwarted an innocent President Trump. And around and around we go, and where we stop, no one fucking knows. For now, the insanity will continue. God fucking help us. And now for the main event. My next guests on Maya Culpa are the brilliant, funny, and politically astute brothers from Midas Touch. You have undoubtedly seen their handiwork. Their viral videos were instrumental in framing Trump to millions in the run-up to the 2020 election and have continued to hammer away at his big lie and the GOP's hypocrisy in supporting it. 
with their motto, because the truth is golden, the Micellus brothers are part of a new generation of millennial political activism that's informed as much by social media as it is old line organizing. Collectively, the brothers form a Marvel Avengers-style trio, each bringing certain powers to the table. There's Ben, a lawyer who represents Colin Kaepernick, and Brett, a two-time Emmy Award-winning video editor, and the youngest brother, Jordan, who runs the Midas social media accounts with a level of expertise lost to modern politics. Lately, they have expanded their burgeoning empire that includes the Midas Touch podcast to bring new voices under their umbrella, including the incredible political satirist Walter Masterson, whose videos show him trolling MAGA diehards and calling Matt Gates a fucking pedophile during an interview, and amongst others, to form a next-generation network of news and activism that's watched by millions of younger voters. They all join me today on Mea Culpa to discuss the GOP's negligence in the rise of the Delta variant, Trump's return to power, in addition to their general wise-ass shtick that makes them so much fun. So let's listen now to that conversation. All righty, so Ben, Brett, Jordy, let's start today by talking about Biden's vaccine mandate, which covers almost 100 million Americans and marks his toughest measure to date in fighting the pushing back against anti-vaxxers who have stymied attempts to get COVID under control. Now, the usual fucking morons from the GOP are screaming about socialism or people fucking revolting. But I suspect the majority of Americans want this to happen. So if you guys would play this out for me, will this do the trick or does this put more fuel on the fire for the crazies to get even crazier? Well, look, the GQP is probably going to get crazier and crazier each day. The GQP is the pro-COVID party. And what this should always be about is us as Americans versus a pandemic, not Democrats versus Republicans or independents. This should be everybody coming together in a united effort to save our children, our family members, and our community. This is truly about protecting not just ourselves and our families and our communities. And what we've seen that Donald Trump has inspired is this disgusting selfishness that leads to, one, individuals dying and two people harming the communities, their communities. It's great that we have a president, though, who is against a pandemic. That is a critical thing. We see, though, Michael, each day vaccination rates increasing as disinfo is combated by actual info at the highest level in the White House, not the White House being the central depository and repository of disinfo. So I think we are making the right progress. But to say, is this going to make the GQP crazier? I, I don't know how they get crazier because they already are this crazy death cult. Um, but I think that they need to be isolated. They need to be called out for what they are. There's always going to be that 28 to 33 percent, but we can't let their voices be louder than our voices. And I'll say this, too. I'll say, first off, vaccine mandates like this have a place in American history and have always had a place in American history. You could go back to 
George Washington mandating that the his troops take the smallpox vaccine. I mean, our republic was literally founded on a vaccine mandate, if you think about it. And then we don't have to really even hypothesize whether a mandate like this will work for at least some people because we have a real life example. I, I'm not sure if you see United Airlines recently was one of the one airlines that instituted a vaccine mandate at their company a few weeks ago. And since they did that, I think half the people who were unvaccinated on their staff have gotten vaccinated. I think when you put actual stakes into this and you actually have consequences, I think ultimately, and this is something I've been screaming about for months on on the Midas Touch podcast, that unless people are really, uh, you know, have consequences to their actions, a lot of people won't act. But I think this will get a lot of the people who actually care about their jobs, who actually care about society and might not be these ardent, crazy anti-vaxxers that we're seeing in these viral videos, because those people do exist, people who are just scared of vaccines in general or scared of needles or whatnot. But I think this is a good way to get a good portion of the population vaccinated. And by the way, it's not even necessarily a, a mandate. You could, uh, you know, if you don't want to get the shot, you just you got to oh, get okay, tested. But Brett, but, but Brett, stakes and consequences, what could be greater stakes? What could be greater consequences than 640,000 American lives lost? 130,000 new hospitalizations a day, give or take, on the day, right? Now it's affecting children, you know, children under the age of 16, under the age of 12, to, to infants. What could be greater stakes to our American future, right, than loss of life or sickness that ends up staying with you for the rest of your life if you're fortunate enough to survive, well, Michael, we've seen it time and time again, and you could say a number like 600,000 plus people have died of COVID, and it sounds horrible, and it is horrific, and it's terrible. But to a lot of people, that's an intangible number, and it's not until it affects them selfishly on a personal level that they're really impacted by it and are motivated to take action. So I think this, you know, it's actually their jobs are on the line, you know, if they don't do this, their money is on the line, their livelihood is on the line. And I think that is going to be a motivator far more than when they can look at the news and say, oh, no, that's fake news. I don't think those deaths are this. I think those are overcounted. I mean, you're seeing these countless stories now of, oh, I'm sure you've seen them, you see them every day of anti-vaxxers who are just so adamantly anti-vax and then you cut to two weeks later and you see a photo of them on a ventilator or a TikTok video of them on a ventilator and they're begging people to get the vaccine. Don't do what I did. Don't wait. Please get the vaccine. My kid is not going to have a father anymore. My kid is not going to have a mother anymore. Please. And it's unfortunate that it takes you know, these issues to affect people on such a personal level and do so much, not only damage right now, but generational damage. I mean, think about the, the families now that are growing up without fathers, without mothers, because people made these decisions. And I think this is such an emergency and we need to do everything we can to get as many people vaccinated because we're going to be in this crisis for a, a long, long time if we don't. And that's what Joe Biden came out and said uh, at his press conference, where he was angry. I mean, the man legitimately was angry at the tens of millions of Americans who just refuse. They're just stubborn, stupid people who just refuse based upon Donald Trump's misinformation, disinformation campaign. Now, of course, Donald will say, well, I recently said everybody should get the vaccine. Okay, that happens to be true, but they think that he's being forced to say it. 
right? Whatever it is that he planted in their minds early on, what made Joe Biden so angry about it is the fact that for months now, there are a there's a significant available supply of vaccination that would end up helping to stop this pandemic, to put the mu variant and the Delta variant, you know, in check. And it's not happening. You know, I want to read something that uh, Joe Biden actually said. He goes, we've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin and your refusal has cost all of us. Right. The unvaccinated minority can cause a lot of damage. And they are. Look at what's happening with our country. And it's not just our country, by the way. If they think that this is just a U.S. situation, and I'm talking, of course, to the anti-vaxxers, look at what's going on around the world. This is not a pandemic that only affects America. It's affecting the whole world. But yet somehow the rest of the world is trying to get the vaccine. We have it, but our people, a group of them, refuse to take it. I mean, how stupid is that? It's like we're dealing with a combination of like children and like zombies, like we're in a zombie movie, but everybody wants to become a zombie and to get bit. That's how I feel. And when you see these videos of people on the airplanes, they have kind of very zombie like qualities to them. Sometimes I saw a video of a guy holding a mask and like eating it and like growling and making all these guttural noises. And you're like, is this like a what is happening here? And it also reminds me of like, you know, children, like when we're brothers, I'm, you know, I'm not sure if everybody listening knows our story. We're three brothers who started this political organization to push back against this sort of disinformation and, and you know, all the, the Trump mentality. And if one of us was going to the doctor when we were a kid and we didn't want to go to the doctor and we put up a fight, guess what? Our parents would put their foot down. And they'd say, Jordy, stop crying. This is for your own good. Stop crying, Jordy. See, Jordy doesn't have his microphone on, so we could go after Jordy all we want during this podcast. Yeah, Jordy's crying right Jordy's, now. Jordy, uh, Jordy, stop, stop crying, crying Jordy. It, Jordy, stop Jordy, crying. It's okay. It's, it's okay. It's okay. I'll it's okay, tell them man. to be it's nice. okay. We're just it, we're, we're just guys, we're just come, joking, come but on. you need a pair. <laughs> Jordy, he's, Jordy's breaking out the tissues. Jordy, it's okay. It's it's really. But here's hard. the thing, Brett. This is why leadership, though, matters. Leadership at the highest level at the executive branch. Leadership amongst our senators, our Congress members, our state representatives, and you don't just have Donald Trump. You have this cult of Trumpers who are this marching death cult who are the ones who we want to lead against common enterprises. You think back to World War II, a lot of these GQPers would be sadly on the side of Germany and Japan against the United States of America if this was World War II, not uniting behind a common goal. You know, we saw that even in Afghanistan, where the very first thing the GQP wanted to do was turn it into a political issue, a Sleepy Joe issue, and not a national issue. They don't even care if they have intellectual consistency. They don't care at all, in fact, about intellectual consistency. They care about scoring these weird political points. And if the ends justify the means, what are the ends, though, that they they want the ends are they want a fascist apartheid type country in the United States of America where many 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 people are dying needlessly um, and you have this billionaire oligarchy that's what they want to uplift 
and we at Midas Touch with your platform, Michael, we have to combat that every single day and treat it like our lives are on the line because they well, are. Well, they definitely are. And then let me just as an example talk about someone who I consider to be a stupid asshole, and that's Governor Henry um, McMaster of South Carolina. What bothers me the most about these elected officials and too many of them are in the southern states and these red states that are, you know, still MAGA territories. He said in a statement that Biden and the radical Democrats, that's just a word that Donald Trump created, and each and every one of them are following in their footstep, in his footsteps and with his stupidity, because they think it's going to score them some political point somewhere, but that they've thumbed their noses at the Constitution. Hi, folks. Michael Cohen here. We've got an amazing sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Things can get pretty intense discussing American politics, so if you need a break from the news cycle and want to hear incredible storytelling that is both fascinating and actionable, check out last Thursday's episode with retired FBI Special Agent Jack Schaefer, who rejoins Jordan to discuss his book, the Like Switch, an ex-FBI agent's guide to influencing, attracting, and winning people over. This is fascinating stuff you don't want to miss. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show. Like the July 6th interview with master pickpocket Barb Arno on how he spots a mark. There's an episode for everyone though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode on how to deal with corrupt and crooked bosses, addiction, brain chemistry, and so much more. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether it's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy the show and we think you will as well. So search The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. How is mandating a vaccination that will save your life unconstitutional? I mean, you can't go to school unless you have the measles, mumps, rubella, right? Everybody takes the polio vaccine for the most part, right? I mean, how come that's not unconstitutional? What I find interesting is it's unconstitutional to have you take a vaccination, right, in order to put something into your body, but now it's unconstitutional to have choice over, um, as, as a female, to have choice over whether you want to keep a pregnancy or not. I mean, I'm just, I, I'm always fighting with the sort of dichotomy between what their sense of reality is uh, as Republicans and reality for the rest of the world. Like, sometimes I think that they live in fucking Disneyland, 
right? It's like this alternate universe where, you know, you have little magical creatures running around and everybody is, you know, happy. And, you know, it seems like everybody in the world has a lot of money because it's expensive. It's all held to go there. And everybody's walking around with Mickey Mouse with, you know, hats on and little ears sticking out. That's what I sometimes think when I think of people like Governor Henry McMaster and others. They're like living in this fucking weird fantasy land of stupidity, right? Cinderella's castle doesn't exist. You know what does exist? The emergency room, the ICU unit filled up with people being intubated. I was intubated years ago, you know, for a week. I was almost a goner. And I can tell you I had nothing to do with this. If I caught it, I would be a goner. And I'm telling you, I'm personally scared of it. And I can tell you, I, the ICU sucks. Being intubated sucks. And why anybody would want that, why you would want to feel that and go through this, I can't figure it out. And then to have your elected official tell you it's unconstitutional to demand that you get vaccinated to save your life. I'm just confused. Is McMaster the guy who said he would fight uh, fight Biden to the gates of hell? Yes. Um, if because of the vaccine, well, he might he might get his wish. And so well, a lot of these anti-vaxxers, because uh, a lot of them are not going to be living much longer. They're all living in this alternate, weird, bizarro reality. Like Ben said, they have no intellectual consistency. And I think a lot of 9-11 lately, since as we're recording this, we're coming up on the anniversary of 9-11. And that was a moment when our country had a crisis and everybody came together. Everybody was united. I, I remember that moment being New Yorkers. We all remember that moment. We all remember it didn't matter, matter if we were Democrats or Republicans or independents or whatever. I remember being young and when George Bush threw the first pitch at the Yankee game or whatever it was, everybody cheered and applauded. Everybody came together. And now that, that was manipulated and, and weaponized in a very horrible way. It got us into a lot of really bad wars, a lot of really bad situations. But there was a moment there where we were actually all together as America. And now what has happened was when these crises hit, it's how could we be as divisive as possible? How could we take almost the contrarian point of view to what is good for the country? And if the country could just come together for like 30 days, if we could get vaccines under control, if we could get people to just take this thing seriously, we could eradicate this thing. And I think that's one of the most stressful things. It's that these people, these losers, these McMasters of the world who are going out there and are spreading COVID disinformation and who are fighting back against these mandates, who are fighting back against vaccination efforts, they're the ones who are actually causing this pandemic to last longer. And then they complain about the pandemic lasting longer. So it's this whole, you know, closed loop, just lunacy that we're dealing with here. Yeah. So let me move forward for a second. John Favreau tweeted something today that I personally found particularly interesting. And it quote, I didn't anticipate that a side benefit of Biden's vaccine announcement would be all these Republican politicians having a shit fit over an issue where their position is also politically toxic. If you would discuss this with me and my listeners. And just so my listeners know, Jordy's smiling now and he's shaking his head. Do you see the do you see their reaction? I mean, they were saying now Biden has anointed himself the king. Now Biden is dictator Biden for having mask mandates and vaccine mandates. The American population, by and large, to a number of 65 plus percent on all of these issues, mask mandates, vaccines, the economy, 
climate change, social justice, supports big D democratic policies because they're also in favor of small D democracy and democracy principles. But we have this small vocal group of crazy death cult members screaming and shouting and projecting like they are the majority. They are not. And what we need to do is energize and mobilize our base because this is a toxic political issue for the GQP if we make sure that our people have the appropriate sense of urgency that this pandemic is going to kill your children because of the GQP. If you don't vote out these psychopaths in 2022 and they take over, they're going to be holding hearings in the House of Representatives where they try to call in Fauci every day and ask him the dumbest, stupidest questions, call in CDC officials. Those are the stakes. You know, the GQP is very very good at riling up their base with fear and making up contrived fear. We need to motivate and energize our base and let them know the stakes. As the quote you just mentioned, this is an issue that is a winning issue because people want to live. This truly is a life or death issue in an election. And when people go out in 2022, what they need to realize is they're not just voting for a Democrat. They're not just voting for a Republican out of office. They're voting literally, is my son or daughter going to live? Is my family going to live? Am I going to make it to 2024? That's the messaging that's out there. And that's what we have to do when you have these idiots saying, oh, King Biden, dictator Biden, because of masks, because of vaccines. How fucking pathetic are you, GQP? Grow the fuck up. It's more than just grow the fuck up. It's worse than that. You know, I speak to every now and then there's a parent of one of, let's say, my son's uh, friends, and they are all in on Donald Trump. Now, it's funny. I don't understand how or why these are highly educated, highly successful individuals whose child is also in college um, in their last year like my son is. And I asked them, let me ask you a question. You're paying X amount of dollars for college. Your kid could be at the school, wherever the location happens to be. They could be at your home with you. Or they could be on the moon because everything is still, for the most part, remote learning. All right. Do you understand that your child, as a direct result of you know, of Trump's refusal to acknowledge that the pandemic is real, that this coronavirus is real, basically missed out two and a half years of college. Now, your college experience, besides for educating you to go forward to determine what you want to do with your future, it's also social. Socialization is extremely important. These kids have lost two going on two and a half years. If that in and of itself shouldn't tell someone to put on a fucking mask, we're not asking you to get a vasectomy. We're not asking you to go in for brain surgery. We're asking you to take a cloth, put it over your face, not because it's good for you, but because it's good for the next person, right? But nobody gives a shit about the next guy over. And God forbid, you and I have differing opinions. You see on TikTok and you see on Instagram and Facebook, all of these ridiculous 
ridiculous fucking assholes on airplanes now. It's almost become like a TikTok movement of fucking assholes that decide that they want to fight with stewardesses and other people and start coughing in your face simply because they want to prove a point. And my question is, what is the point? It's also a directly result of this Republican leadership that's pushing them to do this and is riling them up. If you didn't have these assholes in power telling them and giving them a green light to behave like this, they wouldn't be behaving like this. And the thing is, you could say that for donations as a leader of a party. You could say that for donations as a senator, as a representative. But if you act on those same things, you're actually breaking the law. And I think this is something that Trump did often is, you know, you you could say things a lot to people and rile people up. But then if you actually go and punch someone in the face like Trump told you to punch someone in the face or interrupt a whatever meeting, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to go to jail and you can't or you like know, storm the Capitol. You're not or storm the Capitol. All, all those people who are now in jail calling themselves political prisoners. No, you fucked up. You violated the law and now you're suffering the consequences of your actions. And it's just so ironic and just so typical that. This party that has prided themselves for years and years is, oh, we're the party of personal responsibility. How many times have we hold, heard that? Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And then the second they see the consequences of their own actions, suddenly it's everyone else's fault but their own. Yeah, well, you're not wrong about that one. I want to move on and ask you another crazy thing that's going on in our, in our country today. The passage of SB8 in Texas is hands down, the most heinous of a slew of authoritarian bills passed in Republican-controlled state legislatures. Now, despite the census showing states like Texas growing more diverse through gerrymandering, they've managed to cling to a supermajority and pass laws out, um, allowing permitless carry of handguns and the outlawing of critical race theory in school. Now, here's another one. Greg Abbott has made the state a blueprint for a MAGA utopia where guns, Jesus, and white men rule. How did the Democrats fight back against this? I think we have to fight back it by playing hardball, too. You know, the GQP, you know, the Democrats always want to play nice. We're the big tent party. You know, we have to play by, you know, all of the rules. And I think you do. You have to play by the rules, but you have to also play hardball as well. These tactics that the GQP has mastered through gerrymandering, through getting legislation passed, even if they don't represent the, you know, the full state or the full country on a federal level, getting their justices into the Supreme Court, despite the fact that the justices appointed by Democrats represent a far greater swath of the American population. We have to have long term plans and short term plans even with the idea of, you know, justices. There's the Federalist Society that Republicans have that bring up justices through the ranks to push through these crazy policies. That's just one example. The Democrats really don't have an equivalent of the Federalist Society to bring forward justices that truly follow the Constitution and not make up the Constitution as they see fit to support these crazy GQP policies. You know, similarly, you know, in the legislature, you know, we have to push back. I was disappointed in Texas where you had Democrats seemingly standing up. They went to D.C., 
then they came right back, you know, so I don't know what that does. If you know you couldn't achieve the aim to begin with, you're just showing that you were going to go and, and go to D.C. for just a few weeks and then come back and let these voter suppression bills, let SB8, you know, and these other slew of bills to be passed, you know, and that's a, a, an instantaneous loss. It just looks like you held out for no reason. And that type of strategy to me is 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 not productive, you know, and Democrats have to, though, stop eating Democrats up eating each other up for not being perfect. You know, the GQP supports the biggest, scummiest versions of the GQP, and they stick together to get these policies passed. We don't have to stick through and save our scummiest people. Of course, we need to hold our people accountable, but we shouldn't let small differences that we have on tax policy, for example, or the implementation of policies surrounding climate change. Not that we all we all obviously agree that it's real, but how to implement it and phase it in and what the credits look like. We can't then just eat each other up and hate each other over trying to implement these policies together while the GQP all sticks together on their crazy policies. I know I'm speaking at a broad level, Michael, but those are initial things that I look at and say, look what they're building in in Texas. Like the Democrats aren't building that at a judicial level, at a state level, or at a federal level. And we need to be better with our messaging. The Midas Touch pro-democracy movement, our pro-democracy media company, arose out of the fact that it really doesn't exist. The GQP has a 24-hour propaganda network at Fox News. The GQP, other than your podcast, Michael, our podcast, the Midas Touch podcast, other than our podcasts, you look at the podcast list, it's all these crazy, wacky GQPers, you know, who are spreading this disinfo. We need to support people like Michael Cohen, support pro-democracy groups who are out there spreading the message, and stop cannibalizing our own. I know a long answer, but a very weighty question. Well, it is a weighty question, and it's not a long answer. It's a very important, but I do want to say, Ben, you know, didn't Trump show us that there are no rules? I mean, isn't that really what he showed um, us about our country, about the Constitution, that the Constitution is basically a piece of paper? Trump took a massive dump on it and decided that nothing, nothing in that Constitution cannot be you know, um, uh, cannot be attacked or voided simply by having a complicit and willing attorney general that's willing to turn around and fight you, even though he knows that what he's doing is improper. I mean, isn't that what Trump, so whether it's with executive orders or just his general, his general proposition that I don't care. I'm the president and I'm going to do what I want. And if you don't like it, fuck you, sue me. It's going to go to the Supreme Court where I happen to have three people that I put on. So chances are you're not going to get it through. And even if you do, by the time that we finish appealing it and so on, um, I'll probably not be in office anymore. Isn't that what he showed Michael, us? The constitu- Michael, the constitute correct. The Constitution is a contract, right? That's all it is at the end of the day. You know more than anybody with Donald Trump. He wouldn't follow his own contracts. He would say, fuck it. Go ahead and sue me. He took that same approach into the executive office and the rules, the norms, the amendments that form the Constitution. He would just say, fuck it. Go and sue me. And ultimately, who decides what that contract says? In this case, the Constitution. The people who decide it are judges who he appoints. 
And because we had so many people who were apathetic and didn't, you know, and thought there was this major difference between Clinton and Trump and all of that, you get a Donald Trump in office. He appoints Supreme Court justices. The Supreme Court justices are the ones who interpret the contract that Donald Trump says. I have no intention of following. And then they come up with their theories. Well, in this specific case, I'm going to be a strict constructionist where I'm going to view every word matters. But when it comes to the Second Amendment, I'm going to read out the well-regulated militia part. Yeah, that doesn't have any meaning here. Let's go back to the real intent here. And they make up shit. And it's a contract that they don't follow. That is the problem. And we had centuries, though, of people, by and large, generally following the contract. That's why across the world, people looked at America as a beacon. They went, holy shit, you follow the contract? You guys are fucking crazy. Why are you following this piece of paper? We have dictators. We have Putins. We have our crazy people. We don't follow the contract. And we were always like, we do. We value this shit. And we have to go back, though. We do as a country. The, the, the answer can't be we need to break all the rules. Also, the answer, Michael, is when you break rules, you have to hold people accountable for breaking the rules. And insurrectionists shouldn't get two months in prison and claim mental health issues and that they were, you know, basement dwelling incels who got inspired like Donald Trump, like a fucking lover, and then get two months of, of prison time. Those people need to be held accountable, Michael, and people who speak for the rules, people who speak out like you should be rewarded for that. That's the yeah, what's, what's amazing. What's what's amazing, though, is, you know, I was working to get a radio program. They had come asking me whether I would be interested in doing uh, some radio um, spots uh, during the month of August because there was a, a radio host that was going to be on vacation. And of course, I would want to. I would want to do mea culpa on a daily basis. The conservative talk radio hosts put a stop to it. They were like, we don't want him on our platform, whether it's serious, whether it was, you know, any of these big major, you know, and it's really amazing to me because you're right. Democrats don't have the necessary voice within which to constantly do what like Fox, OAN, Newsmax, um, you know, conservative talk radio uh, are doing on a on a daily basis throughout the day. But I want to bring up something else, and I'm going to throw this one at Brett because I know Brett's a boxing fan here. So dear old fucking Donald is commentating a celebrity boxing match on Saturday night. Happens to be September 11th, right, for Triller between Evander Holyfield and Vitor Belfort, who happens to be a friend of mine. Um, Vitor was the youngest UFC heavyweight champion. I got to know him very well when I was doing the affliction uh, MMA fighting, uh, you know, and of course, um, Don Jr., the tag along, you know, the really the idiot son, uh, as Donald liked to call him. Uh, all of this, of course, taking place on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. What an actually disgraceful disgrace. And what's, of course, Donald's comment? He goes, they're paying me an obscene amount of money, an obscene amount of money. Right now, if there wasn't a more apt role for our first reality show president than being the host of a fake fight card, I'm not sure what else he can actually do besides being a cheap headline and a PR stunt. The whole thing to me, it's reeks of desperation from both sides. Now, personally, I can't understand from an optics standpoint 
why Donald thought that this was a good idea, why the GOP thinks it's a good idea, and why so many of these GOP representatives are talking about, oh, yeah, I'll be watching, I'll be watching. Dude, it's 9-11. He's a sick man. He's a sick, deranged man. And it doesn't really matter what the norms are. It doesn't matter if it's September 11th. It, it, none of that matters. It only matters is, does he think it's okay? And if Donald Trump thinks it's okay and he could profit from it and he can make money from it, guess what? The Republican Party is going to come along and they're going to say, oh, it's great. I'm watching it. It's like the like DeSantis ads that he ran during his campaign teaching his kid how to be MAGA, teaching his kid, we build the wall in this family. They just go along with whatever deranged shit they say and they pass it along to their kids. And it doesn't matter how disgraceful it is, how disgusting it is, how offensive it is to people who died on 9-11, first responders of 9-11. None of that matters. And you could guarantee that when he he speaks during this boxing match, the comments that he will say will be disgraceful and disgusting. If he talks about 9-11, I could guarantee with my little crystal ball I got here, I could guarantee he says something about that he was there in the rubble that day and he remembers what it was like. Total bullshit, right? I could guarantee that he will say, talk about election fraud and rant about election. Oh, the election was stolen. The election was stolen. And this whole event is an event that I think is attractive to him because he's always put on and Republicans put on this faux sense of machismo. You know, they put on this faux sense that they're, you know, masculine and manly and, oh, we're going in this fight and yeah, we're going to kick some ass. And that's why, like, you know, Trump made those comments where he said, he basically said, you know, let me get Biden in the ring. I'll knock him out in one punch. Like, it's all about just, you know, well, we're alpha and all these people are betas and that's what we got to do. We just got to knock the people out. And it's like, dude, you were the president of the United States. This is so beneath the this is so beneath the office. There's no dignity in this. There's no precedent for this. And it just makes our country look so clownish, like some D-rate reality show. It's just such a disgrace. You know that Donald has actually never been in a fight in his entire life. His sister told me that. His uh, Don Jr. told me that. He's actually never had a single fist fight. I said, even when he was a kid, right? Because you know, he got picked on a lot, even though he was very tall, um, you know, for his age, always tall. Um, he got picked on a lot, which of course is why he went to the New York Military Academy, but he got beaten up there too. But I do want to also just touch on one thing and then, Ben, it's all yours. You, I hope you all remember, and I'm talking to all my listeners as well as, you know, um, you guys. Do you remember Donald coming out and stating that he saw from his office Muslims rejoicing in New Jersey after 9-11? I can only imagine the stupidity that is going to come from his mouth. You know, there's that funny old saying they used to say to people when you were in fifth grade, right? That your, you know, your ass must be jealous of the shit that's coming out of your mouth. That's Donald to a T. Michael, I he bragged about, imagine. he bragged when the towers went down that he now had the tallest building in New York. That was where his mind went. This is a sicko. This is a sick, sick man. And yet, 74 million Americans voted for this sick son of a bitch. Now, remember, right? I was part of that cult. I was not just part of the cult. I was, I was at the top of the cult chain, right? I can tell you that it's a powerful cult, and he has this ability within which to bring people. I just don't know what needs to be done in order to put some Visine in people's eyes, Maybe we have to buy tons of Visine and squirt people in the face so that they can see clearly what is in front of them. He is a immoral, racist, sexist, 
misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semite motherfucker. And there's no other way to describe it. He is just, he's demented, and he's taking all of these individuals for some reason and being able to impress upon them his ideology, which is which is not just anti-American, it's anti-humanity. I was just going to give some insight, too, for boxing fans. You know, Evander Holyfield, uh, it's a very ill-conceived fight. If you go and look at just some interviews with Evander Holyfield right now, and I would tell listeners to just take a look, he has trouble piecing together sentences. And so it's really kind of a, a sad fight to even watch, you know, setting aside that. You know, the other point, too, is you saw the statement, Michael, where Trump recently said that he wished that Robert E. Lee was the general in Afghanistan because yeah. then the war would have ended many years ago. It's a weird statement for one or many reasons. One, it's an incredibly horrible racist statement of another insurrectionist praising another insurrectionist. But also many years ago, Donald Trump was the president. So he was saying that he would have wanted Robert E. Lee to be the leader when he instead of him at that time many years ago. So it was bizarre, racist, horrible for many reasons. But I wanted to give that insight onto boxing, but then give you the Robert E. Lee piece too. Okay, so here's my very two quick two second because we have a lot to cover here. First of all, like I said, I know Vitor Belfort. He is a beast. He's in the greatest shape. He's a former UFC heavyweight champion. Um, why he's doing it, I have no idea. Obviously, it's got to be about the money because... I would expect so much more from my from my friend on this one. I would I'm I was shocked to see his name into it. Researchers have determined that email phishing attacks and brute force attacks are the two most popular and successful methods cybercriminals use for ransomware and extortion attacks on corporate networks. These attacks are simple to attempt, difficult to detect, and can come with big rewards for cybercriminals. Ransomware is just one of the many ways cybercriminals can get into your devices and try to take what's yours. The all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to have protection in the digital world. Device security blocks cybercriminals from stealing your personal information. VPN with bank-grade encryption helps keep information you send over Wi-Fi safe. LifeLock Identity Theft Protection monitors your personal information and alerts you to potential threats. Now, folks, no one can prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But if you have Norton 360 with LifeLock as I do, you can opt into cyber safety. So sign up today and save 25% or more off your first year by going to Norton.com slash Cohen. That's 25% off Norton 360 with LifeLock at Norton.com slash Cohen. One of the things that, you know, you also said is, you know, when it comes to Donald, Donald stated that if he was still president, we would have won the Afghan war. Well, Donald, if you're listening, and I know you are, because you secretly still want me to be your pal, here's the truth. Four years went by, my friend. And you accomplished dick shit. All right. End of story. You did absolutely nothing in Afghanistan. You did nothing in America. You just sat there, tried to bullshit your way through the presidency in hopes of becoming an autocrat and a dictator. End of story. Right. There's no other way to describe it. That's what he wanted. He thought that the presidency was, you know, something simple. It's basically wear a, wear a pink tie that covers your nutsack 
all the way down to the floor, right? For some unknown reason. I mean, I would like to one day, I always said to him, you want me to teach you how to tie a tie properly? Because nobody wears it down to the middle of their legs <laughs> unless you have a nut warmer out of it. It's so stupid. <laughs> and, and, but he thinks he's presidential looking and that's all that you needed. You didn't need anybody for policy that other people can do, but based upon my ideology, which again is completely fucked up, but I'm just disappointed that Vitor is participating in this actual stupidity, which I find, I look, I know a half a dozen people who died on 9-11, all right? I, I, and I knew them well. And 9-11 is a horrible day for me. I, my heart goes out every single year, and it has for the last 20. The fact that he would do this show on 9-11 really speaks volumes. But I want to ask you this. In my mind, the biggest letdown of all so far is Merrick Garland, our attorney general, and his refusal so far to date to prosecute or even fucking investigate Trump and his accomplices. Would you guys discuss this with me? So I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, Michael. It definitely is disappointing. What we can hope is that given the stakes here, that Merrick Garland realizes you have to dot your I's and cross every T because even a typo in a complaint uh, would lead to endless appeals, um, not having all of the discovery ready. You know, you have a right to a speedy trial under the Constitution if that's not waived by the you know criminal defendant who has the right to a speedy trial. And so one of the issues, too, is we better have all of our documents lined up, all of our witness statements ready, because if indeed the right to a speedy trial, time isn't waived, and we have to proceed very quickly that we have all our I's dotted and T's crossed. Um, I think Merrick Garland is very methodical, but what I hope we don't have is kind of Mueller redo, abiding by all of the principles and norms, and then basically having a footnote, you know, in page 64 that references like, Perhaps there may have been collusion. Perhaps there may have been this or that. And it's like you need people who are going to hold individuals accountable and not be afraid. A lot of times our prosecutorial authorities, we've seen this with Trump specifically, they don't they just don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with it being such a pain in the ass, so tedious. But we need people right now to step up. But I would agree with the sentiments that by now, over many, many, many months, particularly even federal judges saying, why are you letting some of these insurrectionists off with three months or six months sentences, um, letting them have time served? The federal judges are saying that. So that's documented and, and disappointing. I can only hope that there is the plan that's in place. I mean, we did see, for example, on the SB8 issue, Merrick Garland and the DOJ bringing a federal lawsuit against Texas. It didn't happen the day of. I had lots of people text me, why'd they wait three or four days? And I, I had to tell them, I said, as a lawyer, it does literally take time. Someone has to write it. Someone has to review it. You know, someone has to be able to, you know, make sure you're hitting all the correct law. Um, but I'm with you in the sense of, I think we are expecting as a democratic nation, as a nation that not as a party of Democrats, but as people who love democracy, that authoritarians will be held accountable. I do think, Michael, if we look back at this, 
through 2022 and we see no action, I agree. I mean, it'd be like, why didn't you? Uh, and ben, it, it, ben, 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 stop for a sec. These guys have all the authority to demand copies of text messages, the email servers that they supposedly are using. Let's just talk for 10 seconds about the January 6th insurrection, because that's what it was. And ultimately, what happens is we're getting a drip, drip, drip of information about this representative, this lawyer coordinating a bunch of the insurrectionists, where to go. What if hypothetically, would the issue change if by chance they actually got their hands on Mike Pence and hung him from the gallow that they built outside? They dragged his stupid ass out there and then they hung him? Or what about, would it have changed? Would they be acting quicker if in fact they got their hands on Nancy Pelosi and beat her to death? Right? I mean, you know, with, and zip tied her with all the other, you know, um, items that they brought with them into the Capitol. They have access, Merrick Garland, as our attorney general, as the chief law enforcement agent in this country, has the ability to demand instantly all of these documents. None of this bullshit with FOIA where you could put in your FOIA request. You're lucky if you get it in eight years and when you do, it's so heavily redacted, it has just your name at the top of a piece of paper. This is a coup to overthrow the United States of America. There's no doubt in my mind that there should be um, investigations. There should be special counsels on each and every one of these matters. And there are a multitude, none so far. And the American people who might be a little bit over anxious for the justice system to move quicker than it does, it is painfully slow. And again, this drip, drip, drip of information is actually making people doubt our Justice Department. And that's a big problem. I don't disagree with you. I mean, I, I I think that we want to see robust action taken from Merrick Garland. The stakes are way too high. Um, and you're right. I mean, is that what we were going to wait for until an actual, you know, vice president or speaker of the House was killed? Because that was what the attempt was. It was an insurrection. And it is disappointing. I do, though, think there are some positives to reflect on. Biden has appointed more district judges in a short period of time than any prior president, which is important to have diverse district court judges where lots of cases are heard first. And so that is a positive development. That's not a DOJ development, but it is something that we should reflect on as a plus. I don't think people realize how important that is to have federal judges appointed that are reflective of democracy and not unqualified people who Trump appointed. Literally, that bipartisan commission said these people who, who Trump were appointing were people who were like 36, 37 years old, who never even tried a case. There was this embarrassing moment, Michael, in one of the confirmation hearings where they said, which one of you, which one of you people sitting here have ever done a trial? And no one raised their hand. They said, which one of you people sitting here ever took a deposition? Only one person raised their hand. And they said, tell us about that deposition. And it turned out like the person didn't take the deposition. They were just sitting there in a deposition. And these are the people who hear the, the matters of federal constitutional law who have zero qualification. So I, I take the negative news, give you a little positive, but I share, I share where your disappointment, Michael. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this then. 
Last week, Kevin McCarthy threatened telecom providers. I mean, all they're doing is they're copycatters, right? I mean, you can't make this stuff up, guys. They're copycatters. They think that by being bombastic and stupid and, you know, crazy, they're following Trump's footsteps and that this is going to pay off for them. Now, some of them it does because they get quite a bit of funding coming in from these constituents that for some reason, you know, what they say, a fool and his money are easily parted. So last week, Kevin McCarthy threatens the telecom providers and tech companies not to release the January 6th related data, the texts, emails, phone records, and other information that could be pertinent to the investigation. What do you think makes McCarthy so nervous about what's in there? And why would he even make these requests in the first place as an elected official? I think McCarthy doesn't care about the law. I think it's an example of him obstructing justice. I think that McCarthy clearly spoke to Trump that day. We already know that he spoke to Trump that day and was trying to get him to stop things. I think the communications will show those attempts to talk to Trump, and he'll have to then explain the depth of those conversations. And I think we're seeing it across the board with somebody like Jim Jordan, who we saw stammering out there when he was asked if he spoke to Trump that day. And it took him about four interviews to finally admit, yes, okay, yeah, we spoke, we spoke. And then like they had this weird or sort of peace and Politico with Jim Jordan, where they were saying, oh, they actually did speak that day. And Jim Jordan was the leader in trying to get Trump to stop the insurrection. Like, it was just the most bizarre thing. I think just so much of these people in the Republican Party are so deep in it. And in order to stay in it, they need to just hide as much information as possible. I mean, the more information that comes out, the more damaging it's going to be. And I think this goes back to what you were saying about Garland. This is why it's important that if McCarthy tries to do something like that, we should be acting right away and he should be punished in some sort of way. You need to come down hard on these people because when you don't, you let them try it again. And now, you know, McCarthy basically has the green light to keep trying to obstruct justice. You have this other rally planned for September 18th, I believe, which I'm sure will be nothing at the end of the day. I think everybody's prepared for it. But why are we giving these people an option to even go there and have this quote unquote justice for January 6th rally where they're going to basically honor the people who killed the Capitol Police that day and tried to take over our government. I mean, when you don't prosecute the people who did it the first time, you allow them to do it the second time. You're saying, yeah, it's okay. We're not going to do anything. Oh, well, no, we'll give you that organic food in prison and get you in there for a couple months in and out. Uh, and that's, that's the worry I have about not prosecuting people is we need to be setting an example because you give these people carte blanche to do whatever the hell they want. And that's when it gets dangerous because they're going to keep trying to one up each other every single time. We saw that in Brazil over the weekend with Jason Miller going down there to try to start his own Brazilian insurrection. Like we're just giving these people the green light to go across the world and destroy democracy. What are we going to do about it? And if you look at the history of dictators, dictators often failed the first time around. You know, you look at Hitler, you look at Mussolini, you look at a lot of these movements, um, they fail. They're emboldened. They recalibrate. They come to power. They suspend parliament or the constitutions or whatever their institutions are in those countries. And then they kind of learn from it of how to do it better and perfect their dictatorial ways. And that's what we have to be very worried and concerned about here, because that's what they're doing. They're trying to modify their coup approach. So if I can, I want to do a little reenactment 
of Jim Jordan in his interview, <laughs> in his interview with a host of news outlets. So, of course, the question was, did you speak to the president? Uh, I, I spoke with the president last last week. I speak with the president all the time. I spoke with him on January 6th. Right. These are his exact words. Could you imagine that this guy is actually a representative in our in our Congress, you never see people like in Parliament speaking like this. He speaks like somebody, you know, dropped him on his head and he wasn't wearing his helmet while wrestling. Right. Then he goes on because he couldn't seem to recall. Right. So he goes, uh, I don't have to go. Uh, I spoke with him that day after I think after he, you know, he stammers. Right? I don't know if I spoke with him in the morning or not. I just don't know. I don't know when these those conversations happened. I know that I spoke with him all the time, right? I mean, seriously, Jim, seriously, you fucking moron, you, right? You stupid, stupid fucking asshole. And you sit there and then you placate people like Donald Trump instead of working for the American people, right? Which, you know, that's your job. I, again, the fact that he can't tell the truth, Really bothers me because, and I talk about this all the time, right? I got charged with a thousand and one violation, right? Lying to Congress about three times versus 10 times of speaking to Donald Trump. This guy doesn't know if he spoke to the president once, twice, three times, if at all, morning, afternoon, during the most significant day of at least the last 10 years, right? I mean, if, well, I asked, if I asked you, he, he where were you? Sure. If I asked you, Brett, where were you on, Jan on September 11th? I'm pretty sure you can tell me where you were. I know where I was, right? Everybody knows because it was an important yep. event. So was January 6th. Now, I was on home confinement, totally. so I was watching it from, you know, from my couch in my den. But I know exactly where I was. And so does he. And he knew that he spoke to him. He's just a lying fucking coward. Yeah, he knows damn well. And to be in a cult like the Republican Party, like the Trump Republican Party, means that you can't go against the leader. Once you go against the leader, it's like Scientology almost. You know, once you go against the leader, you become a suppressive person and you get pushed out and then you get an angry, I don't know, he doesn't call them tweets, an angry newsletter, an angry uh, facts. I don't know how Trump is setting out of statements, but you get an angry little writing of text from Donald Trump that says how terrible you are and how he's going to primary you. So all these people are just so scared of Trump. They're so scared of Trump voters. And they know that no matter what Donald Trump says, if Donald Trump says that the sky is green, and it was raining candy or something like they they're gonna say oh yeah of course it is of course donald trump said that's that's exactly what's going on well let me ask you this then did you guys see the political piece earlier this week that discussed trump laying serious groundwork for a 2024 election run now in your opinion if the race was held today do you think it would be close because i believe that it will not be but four years from now Right. Or three plus years is an eternity when it comes to politics. But for the sake of argument, let's talk about a rematch between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. What do you think that this looks like to you guys? Who's the victor? How do the campaigns go? Is Biden now more in tuned with the stupidity and antics of a Donald Trump or a Donald Trump 2.0 like a like a Ron DeSantis? 
No, um, I think you're I think you're going to get Trump is Trump is Trump. That's who you're going to get. I think the rematch, if that took place, even before Trump starts to run, he'll start saying it's already rigged. He's just going to go back to that playbook even before there's any announcement whatsoever. You know, I think if there's a an, a good positive thing here, it's that Trump and this GQP are just such a bunch of losers. These are loser people with loser followers who lose. Everything Don's done in his life, you know, has kind of followed the same path of kind of Ponzi scheme bankruptcy, Ponzi scheme bankruptcy. And he is a loser. And they basically dis- they cast so much doubt about the voting process that their people are not reliable voters anymore because they believe the system is rigged. And so why do I need to vote in the first place? The issue is going to become, can Democrats stay united? Can Democrats build the networks that we need? And can Democrats start speaking to all American people? Um, We can be this great big tent party, but we also need to not be shocked if we're not speaking to the Cuban community in Florida, that the Cuban community, for example, doesn't understand why the Democratic Party is working for it if we're not in these local level locations speaking to people. So we can't take anything for granted. But I think if Trump were to run again, I think you would have a significantly larger margin of people who would be voting for Biden this time even than before. Interesting. Well, let me ask you this, since you're prognosticating today. Monday, there's a recall election in California for Governor Gavin Newsom. What do you think happens there? Um, And what do you think happens to California if by chance Larry Elder gets elected? I think the good news is, and I'll let Brett also opine, the good news is, is that the polling is heavily weighted right now in favor of Newsom. Um, the, the vote no seems to have significant support. The latest polling data generally shows 58% or so in favor of voting no on the recall. There's been some great reporting. I want to give a shout out in particular to an account called Resist Programming, which did a great job exposing Larry Elder as saying that slave owners deserve reparations. We posted it on Midas. We work with this Resist Programming account a lot. It went incredibly viral um, and was one of a number of important stories to expose who these people are. But I think that what we see in California, though, is if we can motivate the base, if we show the stakes, I think Newsom has done a good job making it clear this is the anti-mask, anti-vax Republican recall. He's pounded that message. Um, You've had, I think it was Reed Hastings, who's done a lot of ads that we've seen that's kind of been all over all over here saying vote no. Some great work's been done in the community, um, local local groups as well. Um, But I think no is going to prevail. um, And that's that's generally what I think is going to happen. But it's an example of but I'll tell you this, Michael, the media sure tried 
incredibly hard at first to elevate each one of these wacko GQPers who were running. They try to make Caitlyn Jenner a Trump. They try to elevate Caitlyn as though she was the next Arnold Schwarzenegger and did everything they could to elevate her platform. Larry Elder as well before, because they want to make it a, a horse race. Ah, she's better than Arnold Schwarzenegger. He only won bodybuilding. She won, you know, uh, decathlons at the Olympics. But we shouldn't take it for granted. Everyone needs to still go out and vote no on this recall and don't take it for granted. Totally agree. You know, I look, as I said to you at the very beginning, the hour goes by quick. And I just want to touch on one more thing, because Midas Touch is legitimately one of the biggest pro-democracy media companies uh, out there right now and independently run, which is, you know, very much like this podcast, for example. I'm not affiliated like all the others, whether it's with NPR, The Blaze, ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN, or all, right, Fox, or and so on, all of them. I'm really like the only independent guy that's out there, and we're all doing, thank God, very, very well. But one of the things that you guys do is you certainly help to elevate others' voices um, you know, um, out there. And that's actually something, you know, to be proud of yourselves, even though Jordy can't respond. Um, you know, it should be very proud of himself. But the reason I bring this up is 2022 makes me very, very nervous, right? The House turning to Republican automatically, in my opinion, will lead to the filing of impeachment um, against Joe Biden. It's a payback for Donald there's too many people still loyal to the lunatic. Um, on top of that, it certainly will make Joe Biden's next two years will make him into a lame duck. Nothing will happen. And every time that he does something, they will intercede, they will interfere. And he just doesn't have the same sort of uh, reaction that Donald, which is, I don't give a shit, just do it by executive order. And if you're not legally allowed, who cares? The law doesn't mean anything to me. I'm the president. So one of the things that... I'm, I'm literally done in uh, 72 days uh, from now. And one of the things that I want to do, and I've been speaking to a handful of my guests, and they certainly want to join, and I'm going to ask you guys, uh, we all need to take it on the road. We have millions and millions of supporters uh, that listen to our various shows, that follow us on social media, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever, Right. I'll give you an example. I spoke the other day to Scott Dworkin from Democratic Coalition, and he's all in for putting something together and making sure that we help to push 2022 midterm elections and keep at least the House for right now, um, you know, Democratic. On top of that, Maria Cardona also said uh, yes to me. And then there are others. I certainly want to hit the road and make sure that our voices, which are strong, continue to be heard and continue to remain strong. So I'm hoping that you guys will join us when we put this thing together. Michael, you tell us where We're to be in. and we will be there. And ex excited to get out there and be speaking with people face to face because we have to view Unfortunately, this is the situation that we're in. We hear it every single election cycle. This is the most important election of your lifetime. It's true. 
This is now the most important election of your lifetime. And that's why we need voices like yours, Michael, voices like us, voices like Scott Dworkin at Democratic Coalition. And we need everybody out there, all the local organizers, all the creators, everybody to come together and be loud and own our victories and own our wins and get out there and inspire people and let people know that we are a pro-democracy movement and we are not going to let these fascists put us down. We're going to keep going forward. And Michael, I'll say this, one of the most fulfilling professional experiences in my life has to been has been being a production partner on the Maya Culpa podcast, working with you, the incredible team at Audio Up. And Audio Up does a fantastic job. And um, everything you've done, Michael, and seeing your podcast build um, and be elevated to this point where people get to know Michael Cohen's incredible. We have the Midas Touch podcast. We have a legal podcast called Legal AF that I do with uh, a lawyer, Michael Popak. We do a podcast called Kremlin File, which delves into kind of the inner workings of the rise of Putin that does well. Um, we have a Generation Z podcast called Zoomed In on the podcast channel. And the Midas Touch podcast launches. We do it on Tuesdays and Fridays. The lives go on Monday and Thursdays where we do a live podcast. And, but working with you, Michael, has been uh, one of the most incredible experiences. And I just want to say you're a true American hero. You're a true American patriot. You don't deserve what's happened to you, but you've shown how you stand up and speak truth to power. And history is going to look very kindly on everything you've done. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, again, you know, I, I really do appreciate that. I don't consider myself to be a hero or a patriot. I'm just somebody who refuses to allow Donald Trump to destroy our democracy. And I believe in the Constitution. I believe in this country. And I believe in all the citizens of the United States of America, those that are here by birth and those that come in through immigration, like my father, like my grandmother, and so on, like my wife. Uh, so I thank you guys for joining me today. Look forward to seeing you all very soon. And most importantly, look forward to all of us getting out on the campaign trail together. That'll be a blast. See everybody there. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. So long, guys. And now for today's mea culpa. In thinking about the possibility of Trump's return to power, I can't help but feel some anger towards these authors with their bombshell books that take aim at Trump. Where was this information when it truly mattered? When Congress was in a position to actually fucking do something about the information and impeach the president? What we have today is a farce. The January 6th commission has thus far been toothless in its ability to demand answers. Somehow, we must prevent a Trump presidency from happening again. What's so galling is that there is nothing we can do beyond vote Biden in for a second term. How can we reasonably allow this man to possibly become president again, knowing all that we know? Granted, we live in a democracy and it's the decision of the voters. But what if those voters have been brainwashed and the party that supports Trump maneuvered to bury any possibility of his prior impeachments? Is there no political or moral redress? We can't just put a madman and criminal back in the White House. It seems insane and without logic. But nonetheless, here we are at a moment that feels beyond the scope of history, as if we have jumped off the page and are in an era without rules or precedents, and that is truly terrifying place to be. It's my hope that the Biden administration and Merrick goddammit Garland find the courage to hold Trump accountable for his past actions. But that's like wishing for a winning lottery ticket. 
you just hope and pray. I don't think that's enough anymore, folks. Not with these people. Because they mean business. They mean fucking business. The question remains whether Biden and this Democratic Congress can push back on this GOP scourge. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Matrix, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Matrix, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. This is my mea culpa. Oh, baby, don't lie for me. If I tell you my story, don't cry.